Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. If you have your Bible, uh, Mark chapter 5, and uh, let's read today together, uh, starting in verse 21. Well-known story, if you grew up in church, it's a woman that has a bleeding issue, and uh, it says... Uh, Pretty, pretty miraculous story. She was suffering from it for 12 years. So if you're taking notes, last week I talked to you guys about a ch- change my mind. And we talked about how it's the glory of God that transforms us. We're in a series called Transform. And here's the big thesis idea. How many want California to be transformed? Anybody want America to be transformed? A few of you. How many would say it would be awesome if Orange County was transformed? Here's the thought is that transformation always begins with the individual. And if God revives the husband and the wife, it'll revive the family unit. When the family's revived, society is only as strong as the families. So large-scale transformation starts with small-scale. That's why Jesus said it's just a little bit of leaven that transforms the whole lump. So today, we're going to let God transform us. And as he does it in us, it's going to spread. Ripple effect. There's a couple thousand here today, and a, and a couple thousand more online. One can put a thousand to fly. Two can put ten thousand to fly. What happens when there's thousands already? I believe that we can send ripple waves all throughout California from this place right now. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. So today, if you have your Bibles, let's read together 13 verses about Jesus in chapter 5, verse 21, the book of Mark. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered around him, and he was by Ocean's Church. No, he was by the sea. Dana Point probably. (laughs) Kidding. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at the feet, begged Jesus earnestly, this ruler, this king. He said, my daughter, my little girl, she lies at the point of death. Would you please... Tears probably streaming down his face. Would you please, would you come that she may be healed, that she may live? Jesus agreed and started going with him. A great multitude followed, and they thronged Jesus. He was literally just body to body with a huge crowd of people. Now, in that crowd, there was a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. She had suffered, say with me, many things. She didn't just suffer many things. She suffered from many physicians. She actually took all that she had, spent her money on all the medicine, all the counseling, all the palm readers, all the psychiatrists, all the life coaches. She spent her money on anything and everything except God. It says that when she had nothing left, she was no better. But rather, after 12 years, she grew worse. Then she heard about Jesus. When... She heard. Say with me, she. There is no faith where there's not hearing about Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she came through the crowd, unclean, with an issue of blood, came behind Jesus, and she touched his garment. The word garment there actually means tassels. And and the crowd, she touched him from behind of his garment. Now, Now, it says this, for she said, this is what she said to herself. It actually says in Matthew chapter 9 and Luke chapter 8 gives us a little bit more clarity of the story. 
she actually had a conversation with herself, which is called your thoughts. She said to herself, if I could only touch his clothes, I will be made well. Say it with me, faith. That's faith, friends. Immediately when that happened, the flow of blood was dried up. She felt it in her body. Someone say she felt it. Feelings aren't bad. We don't worship feelings, but they are great confirmations. She felt it in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus immediately knowing uh, in himself that something of power left him. Turned around and said, hey. <laughs> I like to put myself in the passage there. He probably didn't say it. He's, he wasn't angry. Hey. <laughs> Who touched me? He didn't say that. Bible just says, hey, did someone touch me? <laughs> His disciples were like, uh, everybody. Everybody's touching you. We are in a crowd. No, he's like, no. Someone touched me. I felt power come out of me. He looked around and he saw the woman. And when she realized what was done, the woman feared and trembled, knowing what happened to her, came and fell down and told him the whole truth. You know what's amazing about healing? True healing is usually always connected to the whole truth. And some of you are partially healed because of your partial truth. But it's the whole truth that heals the whole person. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. What made her well? You one of those faith churches? I always say this. We don't have an alternative, people. We either believe or we don't. But if we don't believe, don't tell people that you're a believer. Well, I just don't believe that God really does anything. God doesn't speak anymore. It's always funny when pastors of churches, they say that God doesn't speak anymore. My favorite line about churches that say God doesn't speak anymore is when they tell me, yeah, God doesn't speak to people anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't do miracles anymore. He doesn't speak. And then I always say, well, why are you a pastor? And they say, well, God called me. Yeah. <laughs> Am I getting punked? So he doesn't speak, but he called you? Get out of here. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And be healed of all of your afflictions. Some of you today aren't bleeding physically. Maybe you are. But most of you today, I would say there's affliction in these tents. Some of you are fighting an internal war right now. You can feel the light and the darkness colliding. Some of you are tormented in your thoughts. Your sleep is being stolen from you. There's anxiety when you wake up. There's a war raging on the inside. It's an embarrassing battle. It's a... It's a covert op struggle and I, I believe the story uh does not list the woman's name because anytime the bible is not specific with a name it's usually because we're supposed to insert our own name there there's often something true of the anonymous person that's true of us personally and i feel like today as i was praying for transformation this woman's life after 12 years was transformed and I believe that the miracle we just read all started with the thoughts that were going through her head. So I titled this talk this morning, Think About It. Think about it. Let's pray today. We're going to think about God. Everyone said amen. God, I pray you would meet us today, speak to us today. Put your thoughts in our skulls. 
I ask you that between our ears we'd have clarity today. And that, God, as you heal us, our whole, our whole mind, our whole heart, as we bring that to you today, I ask you that like the woman with the issue of blood, we would leave transformed. God, we thank you for your miraculous power that's still here today. Meet us, lead us, guide us, help us to have a good time in the process. In Jesus' name, bless the sons. Can't beat them, join them. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Um, I think guys have a superpower that women don't have. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm a man. I got to be honest. There is a gift that God gave men that he did not give women. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be honest before you guys charge the stage. I feel the tension rising right now. Who's this guy think he is? His rugby shirt. He's going to get tackled. Listen, there is a gift that God gave man that he did not give women. And it's called the ability to think about nothing. It is our superpower. Ladies are always thinking about something. Men, what are you thinking about? Nothing. We're not lying, ladies, when we say that. We are as genuine as can be. There is an internal light switch that you just go, I'm done. <laughs> Power goes out. They could put neurological sensors on your brain. No activity. Rochelle asks me sometimes, we'll be in the middle of a road trip driving for 25 hours. She'll say, babe, what are you thinking about? I'm just like, nothing. It's nothing going on. I'm just looking at the road. I'm just... 10 and 2, you know? Just thinking about nothing. Nothing. Women don't think about nothing. They think about something. The internet calls it shower thoughts. I started thinking about when I'm not thinking about nothing, which is one of my hobbies, when I'm thinking about something, sometimes funny thoughts come into my head. Anybody ever a funny thought? You ever thought to yourself, man, someone needs to talk about this more. Maybe you don't think about it like that. Maybe you go, man, this is actually kind of a funny observation. I've had some of these shower thoughts. I kind of make myself laugh on the inside. You ever crack yourself up? Yeah. Been by yourself like, that is funny, Mark. That is, you are <laughs> a funny guy. I was thinking the other day, I was thinking, man, why is it? It's not fair that coffee makes your teeth brown, but milk doesn't make your teeth white. It's not fair. I was like, that's a good observation, Mark. I started thinking about how the best part of a cucumber tastes like the worst part of a watermelon. That was funny. I thought it was funny. I had this thought the other day. You watch your neighbor mowing the lawn. I'm like, the peer pressure of adulthood is watching your neighbor mow their lawn. I probably should. I thought about how watching a graduation ceremony is like a full-length movie of just credits. <laughs> That's all we're doing? Just clapping and calling names? Three hours? This is it. It's the culmination of four years of hard work. 
three-hour movie of credits. I thought about how roads, cars have to be roadworthy, but in California, no one's making laws to make roads car-worthy. Makes me mad. I thought about your tongue's ability to detect a hair is severely underrated. Anybody ever been impressed by your hair? You, know, you have a tiny hair in your mouth. Your tongue's like, get it out. I will activate the reflex. You will vomit if you don't get it out quick. Like, that is impressive tongue. How true that is. Get it out. You can't even find it with your fingers, but your tongue's like, it's there. So funny, man. I have a lot of these things. I better stop. Remember this, that a buttload of underwear is still just one pair. A lot of these thoughts. It's kicking around my head sometimes when I'm not praying, seeking God. These thoughts just kind of float around. I, uh, like a beanbag is a skeletonless sofa. I better go. Um, I gotta go, okay? Um, I was thinking about how how the power, one of the greatest gifts God has given humanity is the ability to think about what we think about. Actually, uh, one of my favorite scholars, uh, Dallas Willard, says this powerful phrase. He says, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. Can I say it again for the back? The ultimate power, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. I believe the battle of the universe is going on between your ears. Because what you think is what you become. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think God can, you're right. If you think God can't, you're right. If you think God can change you, you're right. If you think God can't change your circumstance, you're right. Your thoughts are powerful. And I believe it's very underrated in the church world today that we don't talk much about the original sin of Adam and Eve. The devil came as a snake, and notice that he didn't attack Eve with a stick. He attacked her with a non-godly idea. The idea of the original sin of humanity was essentially an idea that God could not be trusted. That God must, uh, he must be withholding something. You better act on your own and secure your own well-being, Eve, because God's holding out on you. The original sin of humanity is, is that God isn't worthy of our minds. We got we to gotta unlock our own minds. You want to eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil so you could be like God. The funny thing about the Bible is it's a bit of a dichotomy. It's like Satan fell because he was trying to be like God. And so when we want to be like God out of arrogance and pride, it leads to demonic trails. But we want to be like God out of Jesus' honor and humility. We become like God and Jesus is glorified by it. Your motive of transformation matters. Do you want to be like God so you can be worshipped? Or do you want to be like God so bring God the worship? 
This is a defining thought, a kingpin thought. And I believe the battle right now that's raging in everyone in this room is in your minds. You see, your thoughts affect your attitudes and your moods. Miserable people make other people miserable. Fearful people make other people fearful. Joyful people, hear me today. Your attitude, your mind, it's contagious. Why do we come on Sundays? It's like, man, when Bodie started singing, I, I felt what he felt. What was in his mind and his heart got into my mind. It's contagious. I found that the devil controls our life when he controls our thoughts. And I'll be very honest with you. One scholar said it this way, that demonic influences, demons, they always attach themselves to the broken parts of our hearts. The broken parts of our minds. And the more healed you get in your mind and your heart, the less things that darkness has to grab a hold of. Facts. Some of you, it's the brokenness of your past that the darkness is holding on to. But if you let God heal the brokenness, the darkness has nothing to grab a hold to. I've seen it. I've, I've sensed it. I, I've seen how God wants to remove the influence of darkness. And I believe the day that God has the ability to actually transform people. I love this story of the woman with the issue of blood because it's a story of someone afflicted and suffering for 12 years. I love the story because it reveals God's kindness. Why does it reveal God's kindness? Because note this statement. Watch this. Is she tried doctors, medicine, therapy, probably tried Ouija boards, the occult, crystals, mediums, sorcerers, soothsayers, tried it all. And when she exhausted all of her money and all of her natural efforts, then she's like, oh, I heard about Jesus. Tried everything else, maybe one last option. Here's the kindness of God is he'll meet you whether you choose him as your last resort or you make him your first choice. He is a God that is rich in mercy. So her last resort is, all right, fine. I heard about Jesus. I'll go there. And she has an internal dialogue. She's suffering. She's afflicted. She's gone to doctors. She spent all of her money. 12 years of spending all she had and nothing but getting worse. It says she had an issue of blood. Blood in the Old Testament was, according to the Bible, it says life is in the blood. That's why they were commanded not to ever drink the blood of animals. That's why they always said to empty the blood before you ate the animals. Life is in, are you hearing me today, in the blood. So when she's losing blood, you're like, Mark, how does this relate to me? What are the areas of torment and affliction that is sapping your life? Some of you are financially strong, but man, your mind is weak. Your convictions are weak. Your confidence in God is weak. Where do we get strength back from is when God stops the areas of our life that we're bleeding out. Some of you are bleeding out because you're so numb to darkness. You are in collusion with the devil. You've, you've made deals unknowingly with darkness by the, by the darkness you've tolerated in your life. Some of you have named the vexation of hell in your life as, well, that's just, I'm just Irish. I'm just, I'm just loud. I'm just, I'm just angry. I'm just, I'm Irish, so come on, I can say that. It's funny how we'll use our nationalities to justify behaviors that are not like Jesus. 
Well, everyone in my family is just angry. Everyone in my family is sharp. Everybody in my family just says it how it is. Why do we take pride in things that are not Christ-like? As those like Jesus, like, oh, I can help everybody. You're Irish? I thought <laughs> I thought I could help you, but I'm sorry. You got an attitude problem, and you're angry, and you like the booze a little bit too much. Come on, we're Irish. Why is it that just because we say our nationality that we justify darkness based upon color of our skin, where we were raised, what side of the tracks we're from, what kind of parents we have, as though God can't help those types of people? I want you to know that God can transform anybody that wants to be transformed. And Christ-like transformation does not make you strong to weak. God never breaks you down to make you weaker. God breaks you down to build you up. I believe many people have this unhealthy view of Jesus. He was not this little, like, quiet, introverted, hermit crab that lived down by a van in the river. He wasn't some little rabbi that was kind of just like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I just love everyone. And I just, I just, I just, I just, I just. He had a voice that was loud enough to talk to 15,000 people He's not like timid little carpenter. Let me stand here whipping up some cabinets. <laughs> With this picture of Jesus, like he's just like this little like soft-spoken. He made a whip. Showed up to church like Indiana Jones. Call him Dr. Jones, doll, right? He came in to the church. Tables. And the church, like he was cleaning the house. And yes, he was love. And yes, he was a friend of sinners. And yes, he met prostitutes and harlots and tax collectors and, and pagans where they were. But when they hung out with him, they wanted to be like him. That's where the church misses the second part of the sentence. Was he a friend of sinners? Yes. Did they stay in their sins? No. Zacchaeus is like, look, man, I spent one meal with you. There is no record of Jesus saying, turn from your sins. You've been cheating on people. You've been stealing money from them. You're going to hell. You don't change, Zacchaeus. He's crying at the dinner table. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'll give it all back. No story of that. All we read about is a good meal, a good conversation. Somehow, it was the goodness of Jesus that transformed this tax collector's crooked heart. He saw such a purity in the eyes of Jesus that he goes, I want to be more like you, not like me. I've been like me. It's empty. I want to be like you. You're generous. I want to be generous. You're honest. I want to be. You're, you're, you're integrous. I want to. Are you hearing me today? It was not a turn or burn message that converted his heart. It was the goodness of God. It reminds me when Peter was fishing that day. Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. They did. They caught so many fish, the nets began to break. Jesus, uh, Peter fell at the feet of Jesus, and he said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Listen to me. Was there a sermon of sin? No. Jesus on the boat said, you guys are a bunch of fishermen, cussing sailors. Y'all are going to hell. No record of it. What do we have? We have a, 
We have a sermon of the goodness of God. All we read about is good fishing. It was a good fishing trip. And the fishing trip was so good that it had to be God. And it was the goodness of God that drew Peter to the feet of Jesus. Get away. I'm screwed up. I see how good you are, how good I'm not. I always use this illustration when I've been playing pickleball lately, and I like to consider myself a pretty mediocre, kind of lower end of the totem pole pickleball player. But I'd say this, that I play with my friend Steen, who is half man, half legend. Steen, he's unbelievable in the pickleball court. He just, I just want, I, I want to be like Steen when I grow up. I'll play on Steen's team, and I'm like, I think I'm getting pretty good. And I realize his legs are tired from carrying me. His back's sore the next day. Are you hearing me today? When you get around someone that's amazing at what they do, you realize how inferior you are. When you get around the goodness of God's power, something in his majesty, his glory goes, I want yours. Mine is inferior. My attitude, it's inferior to yours. My purity, it's inferior to yours. My convictions, Jesus, are inferior to yours. And that's why I love it when I spend time with God. I'm reading the Bible or I'm praying. It's amazing that when God starts correcting me, he goes, this is how Jesus is. This is what you're not. I want to defer me. I heard one theologian say that repentance is taking God's side against yourself. They're like, God, you're not like that. I am. All right, I'll change. But not because I'm weak, but because you're strong woman of the issue of blood, she changes. Transformation happens. And I believe this, this is true. This is a big ticket item today. So I want you to write these five things down. Uh, I believe they are huge. And transform people think about five things. You want to transform your life. You want to get close to God. You want to be strong in the Lord. You don't want to wait to heaven to spiritually mature. I want you to write these five things down today that are true of the woman with the issue of blood. I believe transform people think about five things. Number one, they think about pursuing God. And I'm telling you, what does it say about the wicked? It says the wicked, that God is in none of their thoughts. You want to become, and I'll tell you, you will become what you think about. You're thinking about just becoming a mighty businessman or a mighty businesswoman or a great attorney or a great mom or a great husband or a great wife, all good things. But I'm telling you that you will become what you think about. And that's why I believe that one of the greatest things you can do is make up your mind to pursue God. It says in Colossians 3.1, to seek those things that are above. It says in Matthew 7.7, to ask, to seek, and to knock. It says in chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, blessed are those who hunger and those who are thirsting. For the right things of God, they'll be filled. What's your first idea here? I believe the woman with the issue of blood has a miracle story that millions of people have read about. Billions of people have read about. Because, number one, she made up her mind in her head to pursue God. What did she say to her head? If I can just get close enough to touch him. If I can just get, I'm going to pass through the crowd. I'm unclean. Just FYI, if you were bleeding, you were unclean. In the Jewish world, if you're unclean, you can't go to church and you cannot be around people. She's breaking two really big laws. That's a no-no. Big deal. You would not, as a good Jew, you would not want to be caught dead around people or church if you're unclean. 
Here's another big ticket item, is that she must have had faith because back then, if you were unclean, if you touched someone that was clean, if you touched them, they became unclean. So here's the power of Jesus. He's the first one in history that unclean people would touch, that he wouldn't take on their uncleanliness, that the unclean individual would take on his purity, his cleanliness. Sounds like a Chuck Norris joke, I know, come on. It's like, you know, Chuck Norris jumps into the pool, come on. Chuck Norris doesn't get wet, the water gets Chuck Norris, come on. It's like that with Jesus, that when you touch him, when you're dirty, you get clean. He doesn't get dirty. It's amazing to me that Jesus is a God that is worth pursuing. And it's amazing that in this story, it even talks about this, that, that she goes, she thought to herself, if I can get close enough to touch him, and here's what most people don't teach about the story, is Numbers 15, verses 38 through 40 says that on every good Jewish man's robe, there was tassels, four tassels. The tassels were all around their neck on their shawl, and basically these rabbis, when they prayed, they would rub the tassels. It was an outward sign of an inward promise. Numbers 15 says when you pray or when you, when, you, when you have tassels, you would touch them as a remembrance of the commandments of God. Let me say it modern day for you, that the tassels represented the promises of God. So this woman didn't just say, I want to touch Jesus' robe. She said, I want to touch God and his promises. That was the significance. When it says she wanted to touch his out, out, outer garment, that word garment there is tassels, which represents the word of God. Well, just the book. It's just, you know, whatever, some whatever literature. It's not just any book. It's not like other holy manuscripts. Let me tell you a couple things about this book that's different. It was written by 42 authors over 1,600 years 66 books, 1,189 chapters. It was started being written by, by Moses in lonely Arabia, and it was finished up by John on the lonely island of Patmos. It was written by tax collectors, shepherds, sinners, prison inmates, and kings. It was the first book ever mass translated. It was the first book ever mass produced on the printing press. It has been the best-selling book in history in history, not by a small margin, but by a very large margin. So much so that the New York Times no longer puts it on the list because it's the unspoken, unneeded to be said, this is the book, the book, Biblios, the Bible, the good book. Two covenants, an old covenant, a new covenant. And everything you find in the new covenant is actually in a hidden form in the old covenant. Scholars say the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. This is not any literature, friends. It is the only book in the earth that as you read it, it has the power to read you. It's not fairy pothead. It's not twinkle or twilight or the starvation Olympics or the hunger flipping games. It is the B-I-B-L-E. Sunday school kids said it's the book for you. And I believe many people, they go, it's just the Bible. If it's just the Bible, why did David say that your word is a lamp unto my feet, it's a light unto my path? Why did the greatest minds, the greatest kings of the, of the earth say, how can you can cleanse your heart? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. 
Why would Paul say it is the only book that is sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts between soul and spirit and joint and marrow? It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. There is no other literature in the world that has the power to dissect you. Some of you don't like it because when you read it, you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. That's the point. We're not trying to become like you. We're trying to become like God. Not for pride, for our worship, but for God and for his worship. People have problems with the Bible. Though. I don't know if I like, I don't like the Bible. I like Jesus. Here's the truth. The Bible says the name of Jesus is the stairway to heaven. It says that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved except Jesus Christ. Which is, you know, kind of puts to shame the, the coexist sticker on the back of vehicles. So, here's the deal. If we, if we magnify the name of Jesus Christ, what does the Bible say? It says that God has magnified his word even above his name. John would go on in John chapter 1 and said, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What's significant about the Bible, preacher? It's this. If Jesus was a person... Uh, he was a person. His name would be Jesus. Whoa! I said that wrong. If Jesus was a book, his name would be Bible. If the Bible was a person, his name would be... That's why we read this and we commune and we connect and we say, God, speak. Your servant's listening. Many people, they, they don't take the time to pursue but when this lady with the issue of blood grabs a hold of the, of the little tassels, she's grabbing a hold of the promises of God. Reinhard Bonnke said that God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as it is in his mouth. That's why you take the Bible and you speak it over your family. You said, I can bind my kids on earth and they're bound in heaven. I can loose things on earth and they're loosed in heaven. God, I pray for my marriage. I pray for my babies. I pray for my business. That's why when you get your words lined up with God's words, the fruit of God fills your life. Sorry, I'm fired up. I better settle down. Mark, just settle down, dude. Settle down, okay? Settle down. Secondly, transform people don't just think about pursuing God. They think about hearing God. You know what life boils down to? Pursuing Jesus hearing Jesus, believing Jesus, yeah, obeying, surrendering to Jesus, and obeying Jesus. All of life, and I'll, I'll illustrate each one of these points, but we hear God. One of the birthrights, hear me very clearly today, everyone in this room that says, I believe in Jesus, I want to tell you a secret. You, by your birthright, have the right, legally, to hear the voice of your Father. Don't you ever listen to a preacher that says, God doesn't speak anymore. Well, who called you to ministry, Joker? Stop lying to me. God speaks. Does he speak audibly? No, not usually. A couple people I know have heard God audibly. I never heard God audibly. I'll never forget when my five-year-old Kenzie at the time, we're living in Idaho, she said, Daddy, this is crazy. This is, this is a year to the day after I had the dream to start Ocean's Church. We never told Kenzie we were moving until the year we moved. So there was like an eight-year window that Kenzie had no idea. We never spoke about it in front of her. She was five years old. I'm putting her to bed. She says, Daddy, she said, why did you move to Idaho from California? That's a good question for a five-year-old. I said, uh, God told me to, Kenz. 
And this is when this five-year-old little girl got really theological. She said, Dad, how do you know when God speaks to you? And I'm like, all right, uh, theology 101 for five-year-old. Lord, help. And here's my response to my five-year-old Kenzie. I said, well, babe, you get thoughts in your head that you normally wouldn't think. And even when they're scary, you feel a peace and a courage to do it. Five-year-old Kenzie, this is a true story. Rochelle will testify to it. Without ever hearing about California starting a church, my five-year-old Kenzie, in the mouth of babies, sat up in bed. Her eyes got this big. She said, Daddy, Jesus is speaking to me. And I was like, oh, this is, this is different. She was as serious as a heart attack. This is what she said out of her mouth. She screamed it in the bedroom. He said we're moving to California. He said we're going to start a church. Five-year-old Kenzie, honest to God. I was like, oh, uh, no. We weren't going to tell you for like 10 years. Uh. She's freaking out. It was so real in that moment. She says, but Daddy, what about Papa? What about Grammy? What about my cousins? What about my friends? What about our church? And she started like, she started feeling the weight of the sacrifice. So I had to explain to my five-year-old. I said, well, Kenzie, hearing God's voice is only half of it. Because to know the voice of God is 50%. The other 50% is the timing of God. It's not right now, baby. We're okay. I did not mention it to my daughter again until she was 12. No, she was 11. 11 years old when we, when we got ready to move her. Six years later, it was New Year's Day, 2018, six months before we moved here. Rashawn and I were praying, how do we tell our daughter that never wants to leave Idaho, who's sentimental? How do we tell her? And I remember in the car, I'm like, God, I'm going to throw out a fleece here. I'm gonna, I said, hey, Kenzie, remember that one time when you were six, you had a dream? <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. She's five. Remember that one time you're five years old? You had a dream. <clears throat> There's no way she remember this. She said, yeah, at the Bridge Tower house. I said, crap. All right. Ten and two. Ten and two. I just drove home. I, All right, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Told Rochelle, I said, babe, she remembers the dream. She was five years old. We sat her down. We said, Ken, remember that dream? What, what did Jesus tell you? We haven't talked about it in, whatever, six years. She said, he told us that we were going to move to California. We're going to start a church. And her eyes started filling up with tears. And she goes, we're going to do that, aren't we? We're like, oh, yeah. birthright of the children of God is the ability to hear his voice some of you have lived so long without the voice of God I want you to know this his voice will never contradict this book some of you think you're hearing God's voice at times but listen God will never tell you when you see the guy on TV that shoots people and does crazy things and says I heard a voice he heard a voice it wasn't God's it's probably the devil's voice voice of God will never contradict the written word of God. Scholars have this idea. They say what God speaks is truth. What the devil speaks is lies. What men speak can be influenced by both. There's fallacy in humanity. We're not, we're not plenary verbal. We're not, we're not infallible. We don't see the full picture. We don't see everything, know everything. So we can be influenced by God and speak truth. And we can be influenced by darkness and speak lies. 
that's why the necessity of spending time with Jesus, going, God, are my thoughts lining up? And when I read this book, I'm going, God, when I'm off, I'm not changing the Bible to accommodate my, my political views, my worldviews, and what Mark Francie thinks is awesome. I let the Bible transform me into the image of Jesus. Because if Jesus was a book, he would be this. We miss it. So we, we hear, blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost. Proverbs 8.34. Proverbs 19.27. If you stop listening, you will stray. Some of you, here's a story of your life. When you stop listening to God's voice, your life started to stray off track. Kids started straying. Business started straying. Marriage started straying. When you heed God's voice, you get to where God calls. I believe everything God tells us is for our good. It's a tough one to swallow. When God tells you something you don't want to hear, He never takes something from you to hurt you. Because if you're a good dad and you don't do that to your kids, why would He do that to us? Write this down. I have learned that God never asks me for anything that won't help me in the long run. So when He asks me to forgive someone I don't want to forgive, I do it. When He asks me to be generous with my money when I don't want to be, I do it. When I break the back of greed by blessing somebody else or when I, are you hearing me today? Whatever it is you do, when I step out at the, at the coffee shop and I pray for the barista, I don't want to do it. There's something about when I heed his voice that I know that he doesn't ask me to do anything if it's not going to help me in the long run. So the birthright of the children of God is the ability to be transformed by pursuing, by hearing. And here's the truth. Some of you can hear this message today and lead the same. Because the third ingredient to transformation is not just hearing, not just pursuing, it's believing. You know what the Bible says? You can hear the same message everybody else hears and not be benefited by it if you don't mix what you hear with belief. Faith is the oxygen and the electricity of the kingdom of God. You're like, Mark, I have an 85-inch TV. That thing does nothing without electricity. And your belief when God speaks to you, say, God, you told me to do this, I believe you. When you open your heart to say, God, it's hard for me, but I believe you at your word. It says she thought to herself, if I can touch him, I believe I'll be made well. It was her belief that experienced the miracle. Open the door to the miracle. You cannot trust Jesus in areas in which you don't think him competent. Some of you don't trust him and believe him because you don't think he's competent. I want you to know he is the blessed controller of all things. He is the desire of all nations. It says all tribes, all tongues, all nations. One day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess. He is worthy to be trusted. Well, I don't always agree with him. Well, that's fine. He's God. You're not. You're made in his image. He's not made in yours. And that burns some of us. You know why? Because there's a battle going on in your heart between the flesh nature and the Spirit of God. They're at odds with each other. My flesh wants to be perverted. My flesh wants to be greedy. My flesh wants to be selfish. My flesh thinks about me, me, I, I, mine, mine. And the Spirit of God thinks about Jesus. It thinks about people. It thinks about souls and eternity. And there's a war going on, 
And whatever appetite you feed is the appetite that grows. You feed your selfishness, it'll grow. You starve your spirit, man. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't worship. You don't invite God in. You will starve your spirit man to death. Then you'll ruin your life saying you're a Christian, and then you'll blame God for it. Seen it a million times. God didn't ruin your life. It's your lack of opening up that screwed you up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, be nice, preacher. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Believing. We live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. How crazy is that? Dallas Willard said that. That was a brilliant quote. We live in a culture that celebrates skepticism. And if you're skeptical, I don't believe in God. I'm open to, um, I'm kind of, uh, I like, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm kind of a polytheist, and I'm a vegan, and I only buy groceries from Whole Foods, which is Greek for whole paycheck. Um, we celebrate skepticism. Well, I don't trust you. I don't trust people. I don't trust the church. I don't trust God. I don't trust. I don't trust. Why do we celebrate people that are always just skeptical of everything? You should be a professor at a university because you don't believe nothing and you've never built anything, you just critique everything. Can't build a big business, go teach on business. Can't, can't build a life-giving church, go teach at a seminary and put people's faith to death. I'm sorry, I feel something in here today. I believe that God wants us not to be skeptical. And there's some great professors and there's some great teachers. I'm, I'm just, come on. Don't be offended. I... I believe that God wants us to celebrate belief. You know what I've learned? If you believe God and you're wrong, you miss out on nothing. But if you don't believe God <laughs> and you're wrong, you miss out on everything. Say it again. If you trust and believe in Jesus and you are somehow mistaken, you miss out on nothing. That's why I always tell people to be atheist requires way more faith than being a Christian. Because if I don't, if I if I don't believe in God and He's real, I'm screwed for eternity. But if I believe in God and He's not real, I die like you die. I'm in the, I'm in the dirt forever. I miss out on nothing. Who has more faith? The one that's gambling eternity, or the one that's going to live a good life following Jesus and His teachings today? I believe. That we got to be a church that celebrates transformation by honoring those who believe. Almost done. Are you still with me today? Fourthly, this is a big one. This woman didn't just believe. If I touch him, I'll be made well. Are you still with me today? Who gave me two more minutes to finish this up? Two more minutes? Two, four, six, eight. All right, cool. Sorry. All right, here we go. Next one is we're transformed when we think about surrendering. We've always viewed surrendering as negative. And I think that, yeah, there's negative situations of surrender. But I want you to know that if he is the king of all kings, if he is the Lord of all lords, if he is truly the blessed controller of all things, he is worthy to be surrendered to. You want to lead men? Follow Jesus. You want to lead women? Follow Jesus. You want to make a difference in the world? Follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus are leaders of men. 
And I believe this, your level of surrender will determine your level of use. Some of you will only be used at this level because your surrender is at this level. I am here today because at 18 years of age, I wasn't smart, I wasn't gifted, I was really good looking, but that was it. <laughs> Keeping your attention. It's a joke. At 18, my greatest decision was surrendering everything. And I'm here today, I believe that God has trusted me with much because he knows that I'm fully surrendered. Last night I lay on the ground for a couple hours, stayed up all night, just thinking about God, I have nothing to offer people in Orange County without you. Please don't mess them up by not showing up inside of me. Would you fill me, Holy Spirit? Surrendered people are the ones God can fill. If surrender was empty in yourself, God can only fill up as much that you've emptied out. And when you're hanging on to 50% of your attitude, and, and 50% of a worldview that's biblical, and 50% of a world that's humanistic, and you're wrestling with worldviews, God can only fill you to the degree that you're surrendered. And I believe that God has filled my life because I've emptied out all that I got. I got nothing else to give you. And the more you empty yourself, the more God will fill your life. Good preaching, preacher. Amen. So, we are going to be surrendered. Most problems in our churches today can be explained by the fact that most of the members have never truly decided to follow Jesus. I read this quote, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. It's a big ticket item. This is too late in the service to share something that good. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. I believe that feelings are good servants, but they are disastrous masters. And a disciple of Jesus is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. You said it, I'm in. I'm in. I know it was thousands of years ago, but it still works today. I'm in. I love this. The last thing we did, that she did, that's transformed our thoughts. We think about, come on, say with me, pursuing. God transforms me when I pursue Him. God transforms me when I hear Him. God transforms me when I believe in Him. And God transforms me when I surrender to Him. My level of surrender determines my level of usefulness. And lastly, God will transform me to the level of my obedience. Faith without actions is dead. It's flatlining. So how do we wrap this up today? I believe that obedience is when we enforce God's will through prayer and obedience. John said it this way in 1 John 4, 17, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I believe that to hear is one thing, to believe is another thing, to surrender is another thing, but if we do all of that and we don't choose to step out and obey, we're dead in the water. I want to know, Orange County, where are the people that say, God, if you still are worth pursuing, I'll chase you down. Where are the people in California that say, if you're still speaking, I want to hear your voice. Is there anybody in these tents today that say, God, if I can still believe and see your power, I want to believe. If you're a God that's worthy to be surrendered to, I'll surrender to you. And where are the people that say, God, when I'm surrendered, whatever you want to do, 
Mary gave the, the, the disciples the greatest theological advice ever. She said it like this, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Mary invented Nike. Just do it. Come on, Nike's paying royalties to Mary. Just do it. When God speaks to you, listen, it might challenge you, it might convict you, you might not like it, but listen, God is trying to mold you into his image. Stand your feet, man, I feel his presence. Thank you, God. Come on, when you walk into a room, come on, how many know when God walks into the room, things begin to change? How many would hang out maybe just for like three or four more minutes? Give me four more minutes just to create an environment. I feel his presence here to heal. Some of you have been so wounded, so wounded by parents that were abusive in an unhealthy environment. Some of you, it was a church you went to. Some of you were a part maybe of like a, 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 a new age movement or a cult or some of you grew up, man, in just a, a abusive relationship. You've been abused your whole life. And I see God today taking arrows out of your chest. Taking, some of those arrows pierced your armor. And I see God pulling arrows out of you today, removing the lies today from your mind. Remember this, God speaks truth. The devil speaks lies. We can speak either. Let's be influenced by Jesus today. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Come on, just like four minutes. Let's just, I want to sing this song. We're going to pray. We're going to dismiss. It's going to be awesome. Come on. We just sing this song when he walks into a room. Everything changes. Sing it out. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring when you walk into the room every heart starts burning nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you come holy spirit close your eyes is here come holy spirit you're here you're here you're here so when you walk and when you walk into the room, sickness starts, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist. When you walk into the room, the dead begins to rise, cause there is resurrection life in all you do. Tell him, tell him, tell him. And come and consume, God. Oh, give you permission. Come on, give permission today. Come on, give every part of you today. Your mind, your heart. Hey. Come on. Come and consume. Give you permission. Our hearts are yours. Oh, you want 
for another moment I'm, I'm making up my mind right here I will be a God pursuer hands down just for a moment eyes closed God speak to him right now if you hear God inviting you to pursue him I want you to raise your hands and say I want to be a God pursuer I want to get right with God I want to rededicate my life or for the first time I want to put my faith in Jesus there was 15 last service there's more this service hands are already going up I'll give you three seconds though one Hands are already going up more. Yeah, two. I'm going to be a God 
pursuer. Three, real high, real high, real high. Two, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. 22, 23, 24, anybody else? 24, 25, 26. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do me a favor, just pray for those people behind you. This couple right over here, I just feel like God is, even right now, just, he's doing a new work in you, man. I don't know you, but I just feel like God today is restoring what's been lost. It's almost like there was a bunch of garbage dropped off on your life, and God today is actually ridding the garbage. I see like his holy pickup truck taking all of the mess. You're gonna see how God would clean you, wash you, give you a brand new, I see like a new family. I see new people around you, new friends. God is gonna give you a new, a new world. Let's pray today, brand new start. You're watching online right now, I want you to write heart, H-E-A-R-T. How many did I count, 20, 26? There's probably more, there's a lot of hands, that's hard to count all of them. Would you be a favor, Oceans? Would you pray this prayer with those 26? Say, God, I choose to pursue you. Would you come into my life? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the appetite of Jesus. Heal me. Forgive me. Lead me from this day forward. Speak to me as I read your word. Make me like Jesus. Pray that prayer. You can say amen. Last thing we're going to do, if you're here today and you say, Mark, this is me, I feel like, put the list back up on the screen for me, guys, if you can. I want to be someone that not only pursues God, I want to I hear Him. And when I hear Him, I feel like God doesn't just want me to hear, He wants me to go beyond just hearing, and He wants me to, uh, to actually believe Him. Some of you are believing, but you have never really gone beyond belief, which is when you go from believing to surrender. Some of you have surrendered to Him, but you haven't taken action. If one of those five areas, if you feel like God is knocking at the door of your heart, and one of those five areas, would you lift your hands towards heaven today? I pray that you would heal bodies. There's someone that has a, a disconnected, like, uh, nerve, optical nerve in your eye. God told me last night that someone's eye was going to get vision back in it. I pray right now that you would connect what was disconnected. Heal eyes, heal hearts. I pray that you would clear esophaguses, remove nodules. God, I pray you'd remove even fibromyalgia from people's bodies. I ask you, as we have our hands lifted, would you heal? We commit today in this atmosphere. Say it all over this room today. Say, I will pursue. God, I will hear. I will believe. I will surrender. And I will obey you. Fill me, Holy Spirit day in Jesus name God transforms a region when he transforms a mind and a heart come on if you're grateful for his transformation would you give him a hand clap today thanks for listening to our podcast have a great week